Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. Bob here. I've got The Discomfort Zone, How Leaders Turn Difficult Conversations into Breakthroughs. I've got Marcy Reynolds with me today, and I'm just going to jump in and ask her at the very beginning, you know, you've got this great cover with two chairs talking to each other with all this vibrant energy going on in the background. So let's just talk about that as a metaphor. Why did you decide to use that for your cover? You know, um, it was interesting, Bob, when we were thinking about the cover design. Um, it's always difficult to have people because you don't want people to either identify or not identify with people. So how could we demonstrate two people talking and having a conversation that was powerful as well as uncomfortable, <laughs> but would have a great result. <laughs> well, I think you pulled it off pretty good. Thanks. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know, what motivated you to write the book. You know, why do you think now uh, this is an important subject for people to understand more about? Well, I've always, always, I want to say, been in leadership training. It's been over 30 years, so for me it's always. And um, for years it was, what do leaders say? And when I got into coaching about 17 years ago, I realized that it's really more important what you ask. And uh, I, I train both coaches and leaders. I originally thought I wanted to write a coaching book, um, but then in talking to my editor, he said, you know, you should write it for leaders. The coaches will probably buy it anyway. <laughs> and, um, and and that's, you know, been true. Um, it. It's what I felt was sort of missing in um, what people call coach training, that it, most coach training is kind of mm, basic, kind of supportive problem-solving approach, but not getting really deep into what's really blocking the person and how do I listen for that. And when I hear it and I share it, it's, it, it could cause some discomfort in the person, which is a good thing. Well, it's almost like going to therapy. You're never going to get results that you need until you kind of get into the discomfort zone because then you're getting to the, the truth of the matter. Yeah, the truth. What is it? It's it's good for you, but it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and and as you say, you know, there's really no growth unless there's a little bit of discomfort. Mm. Now, you know, you know, it's interesting because for a lot of people that do coaching, uh, to, to help people, I think a lot of the time they're not listening hard enough to what the person's trying to, you know, it, it's the, the subtle hints, the, the visual cues, that type of stuff. Do you think that's really important as well? Oh, it's crucial because generally when somebody's stuck and they can't move forward, they can't truly articulate it themselves. They can't tell you, like, here's, a, here's what I know is blocking me. Here's my blind spot. So, we have to listen for that and share what we sense, offer it up to see if that could be true for the person. Um, so it, in that sense, it's like it, almost like laying it out in front of them and saying, is this possibility? Is this what's keeping you from moving forward? Is this what's stopping you? Uh, and, you know, again, when we look at it, at first it might not be something that we want to accept. Hmm. Now, did you, you know, you, you've 
been doing this a long time, obviously, and you're writing the book and and things are crystallizing. Um, Did you start to see patterns and say, wow, this seems to be a trend in uh, management right now? Well, I I think that one of the trends in management is particularly with the younger generation coming in is that um, they want to be listened to and they want uh, more than just skills. They want development of their minds and so I think it's it's shifting where leaders do have to engage people in more of a conversation than just you know a, a telling um, yeah and we've been talking for years that that managers shouldn't just tell people what to do they should talk to people and yet you know it's what nearly uh, 2015 and they're still doing that <laughs> and I think part of that is they don't know really how do I engage in an inquiry-based conversation? Um, so I think the, that people are demanding it. You know, the employees are starting to, man, to demand these deeper conversations. And um, everything is so complex that it's easy for people to get stuck and resistant. Mm. Well, you know, it, it, you brought up a very good point that people are starting to demand and I think it's it's coming from the other side. It's like almost like a reverse tsunami where people are saying, look, at, I'm reading these books. I'm educating myself. How come you're not up to speed? And it's the, the, uh, the conversations are kind of flipping where you're trying to push your manager to evolve so that he can evolve so you can evolve. Uh, do you think that's a, a problem these days? Well, I think that's a reality. <laughs> <laughs> whether it's a problem or not is how well the leader deals with it. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, trying to improve our communication and, and getting leaders to ask the right questions and dig down deeper. Do you think what's stopping them doing that is that they can't handle the discomfort that comes up, that, that they feel um, the anxiety and, and they run away from it? Well, that's part of it. Um, and they do that even before they go into the conversation. You know, they think, oh, if this is going to be uncomfortable, I'm going to avoid the conversation altogether. So that's a problem. And, you know, they don't see the value and, and the great benefit of having these conversations. Um, and, and I think it's just they don't know what to say. So it's just much easier to, you know, give people the benefit of my knowledge than it is for me to really listen and to ask questions based on the conversation. You know, I'm often getting asked, do you have a list of questions I can ask? And I'm like, no, because if you have a, if I give you a list of questions, then you're thinking about the questions and not listening to the person. You know, so I think it's also just that when we try a new skill, there's always that awkward phase. And they don't want to be awkward in front of their employees, so they don't even try. Well, that's true. I, I just put down in my notes here, fear and trust. And uh, I think a lot of uh, managers that are out there are, you know, they're worried. And they don't want to communicate what their problems are. And I think to have a, an honest back-and-forth conversation, they've got to let go of some of their fears and tell people stuff that they're uncomfortable with so the person on the other side can feel like, wow, he's really letting it go. I should let go too. If they're holding back, then the other person's going to feel that they should hold back too. Right. I think it's called authenticity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's also one of my favorite 
sayings from the book is um, that they want you to be present more than they need you to be perfect. You know, again, I think leaders often think that they have to go into these conversations um, with, a, you know, with a script and that it's going to have a specific outcome. And it's not going to be that way. First off, again, there's no script. Um, you know, there's a model and there's uh, things that they're listening for that are very specific that are outlined in the book. But it's not going to take, you know, it could go off in, in all kinds of different directions. Uh, and that's, you know, uncomfortable right there, like what's going to happen. And sometimes when you um, kind of create a breakthrough and somebody sees what else is true and possible, they may not even be able to deal with it at that moment. They may say, I need to go think about this. And so it might not be that that wonderful outcome of, okay, so what's your action plan and what steps you're going to take? Um, it may be that we have to have another conversation in a little while. And so, you know, again, because it's not this standard format, you know, in a nice little um, wrapped up model that they can use, um, it, it just, it's kind of amorphous. Um, and yet it makes these amazing conversations and results, you know, where people walk away um, not just with with a, this great realization, but they remember this leader. You know, this is the leader that really made a difference for them, and they remember them, you know, for years. You know, I always talk about my last boss, and even though we didn't get along, he just had this amazing way of just asking me this question that made me, like, just stop stop dead in my tracks and really look at who I was and what I was doing and realizing that I wasn't getting the results I wanted based on my own behavior. So a question, he did that. You know, whereas, like, I can't even tell you my other bosses, like, what they ever said or did for me. So um, by just that, you know, that little bit that he used to do, he was my most memorable boss. So... You know, the question is, do you really want to make a difference with these people and in, in, in their behavior, in their results in their lives, you know, or do you just want to kind of like help them along until they have someone else? Yeah, I, it's it's the structure and the ability to, like you say, work with people. It's almost like on a therapy level where you're, you're asking them to go deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not going to happen on the first conversation. And do and you feel that that's a, a fundamental problem as well as where managers are going in and senior managers are, are talking and they're basically trying to wrap it all up in five or ten minutes because they're, I don't have any time, I don't have any time, can we move this along? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing, though, um, that you said, uh, that they want to wrap it up in one conversation. I think in these situations, you would only use a discomfort zone when somebody was really stuck and, and or resistant. All right, so if you try to have a standard conversation where you just kind of tell people what to do, you're going to be having this conversation over and over and over because it's not going to change their behavior. They may change for a short time, but they're going to go back. This doesn't create um, behavioral change. You're dealing with really even a different part of the brain when you tell people what to do. You know, so whereas if you have one of these conversations, um, it could be that it's uh, a conversation or two, and it could be just that one question that makes a difference for that person, and that's it, and you're done. And you're done, and you never have to have this conversation again. And the better you get at these, the more likely you're going to have that breakthrough in that 
moment. So, you know, I want to clear up that this really isn't therapy. Um, it's a deep conversation because the content is deep, you know, but you're not going into, you know, past lives and, you know, what the person, you know, what created the person to think like this from their upbringing. And it doesn't take, you know, 10 sessions <laughs> to change them. You can often do it in just just a moment if you ask the right question. You hit the nail on the head asking the right questions and being aware that there is a right question, which kind of goes back to what you said earlier where people are saying, so what is the right question? And there is no right question because every time you ask that question, it's a different question, but it's being conscious that when you ask that question, you have a little bell goes off and say, oh, this is the question I was supposed to ask. It's really organic. It comes from the conversation. It comes from what they've given you. And you just kind of feed it back to them. Um, you know, like the time my boss said to me, I was complaining about my coworkers, and he said, um, it seems that everyone always disappoints you. And then he said, will anyone ever be good enough for you? And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and I think I've been doing this to my relationships all my life, you know. So it was just that simple, but he had to be really listening to me and knowing me in order to 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 make that you know that statement. Um, uh, but it, so it comes from the person, what they're telling you, what they're giving you, and what you're sensing is stopping them from achieving a goal that they want. Yeah, it's it's almost like a, a sounding board. If you have a good mentor in an organization, and and you know, you, a lot of conversation I've had with people, they use the word, "Oh, well, he's a great sounding board," which basically it's something that reflects what you're saying back to you, but in a slightly different way. Exactly, right. And just you know, giving someone, honoring someone enough to give them the time to do that, you know, to really sit back. Again, it's a deep conversation only because you're that present with the person. Um, that you put everything else aside and you sit there and you really listen to them. And I think that's what leaders don't do. You know, they want to get it over with quickly and get on to the next thing. And people know that and they sense it. And they feel like I'm just not as important as whatever else he's got to do. You know, I always say, you know, leaders tell me, well, you know, people don't open up to me. And I always say, so how are you listening to them? I wanted to ask you, you know, this is a, it's not a huge book, but is it a book that you can jump around in? Because, you know, you've got chapters like how uh, to listen for what to say. Can a person get away with this jumping straight to chapter four or should they kind of read cover to cover? You know, I think um, if they're really wanting this, they could probably skip the first chapter. Um, uh, you know, two of the chapters um, are case studies, so, you know, you don't want to read the chapters before that. So I think chapters three and four are really essential. Um, but even chapter two is kind of the setup, you know, how do you create the rapport and the safety um, to have the conversations. But, um, uh, you know, three and four, I think, kind of go hand in hand. And then after that, it's, it's, it's actually application. Let's talk a little bit about uh, safety because I think that's a pretty critical point when you're going through these conversations. How do you bring that up? Well, there's really three things. Um, and the first one, this is why the discomfort zone conversations differ from other um, conversations, you know, like courageous and fierce and whatever. All the conversation books are really about what do you say. 
and um, to get your goal met. Whereas this conversation is about really trying to discern what is the goal that will be meaningful for the person you're with. You know, so you're in the conversation to help them meet their goal. You know, do they want to be a better leader? Do they want better relationships with their peers? Do they want more peace and quiet in their life? Um, you have to find what that is, um, and you're basing it on that. You're there to help them achieve that, which is, um, you know, really the old what's in it for me anyway. You always want to find that. So we start with the intention for the person, but then you have to go in with an emotional intention. So many times leaders go into these conversations a little angry, a little disappointed, um, maybe even scared to have the conversation. And, and, you know, you've got to decide what is it that I want to feel before I have this conversation. Do I want to feel encouraged, hopeful, um, um, compassion, you know, whatever that is that you're going to carry in. The leader sets the emotional tone. You know, so you want to think about it and decide what's the emotion that I want to carry with me as I go in because it's either going to engage or repel the person, you know, based on what you feel. You know, and then the third thing is you have to hold the person in high regard, knowing that they're, you know, resourceful and capable. Even in this in this moment, they're really, you know, resistant or struggling. Hmm. Now, and I've, I've kind of hinted on this a little bit earlier on, but, um, you know, when you're gathering all this information, putting into the book, for you, what was your aha moment where something really crystallized for you? I think when I was really trying to codify intuition, <laughs> and I came up upon some really fascinating research about, you know, all the processing you know, there's a hundred million neurons in your gut <laughs> and every class of neurotransmitter that's in your brain is also in your gut. And there's a lot going on there. And can we really listen, you know, to both the heart and the gut um, while we're with someone? And and really, honestly, when I teach this to leaders, I've had them say to me, I don't know if I was listening with my, my heart and my gut, but even attempting to um, kind of forces me to listen more deeply, that I get out of that chatty thinking brain, analyzing, judging, you know, and really get into um, an open listening space. It makes a huge difference. I'm having this word come up again and again and again uh, in my brain called small talk. And I remember being at a party many, many years ago, and uh, this one guy, he was having these really intense conversations with people, and I love a great conversation. So I came up to him and said, hey, I, I'm Bob. And instead of saying, oh, hi, I'm Joe, how's it going, what's the weather like? He just asked me a fundamentally very difficult question. Uh, and I said, wow, that's an incredible question. He said, yeah, well, I don't want to waste time working up to that question, so I just asked the question right away. And, and from there, the conversation leaped over all this basic BS stuff that most people use in the conversation straight to a fascinating conversation. Is this what we're trying to do uh, for managers is to get them to not warm up in the conversation, sit down and say, hey, there's a fundamental problem and let's figure it out right now. Can they start the conversation like that, or do they have to warm up to it? You know, I think that depends on the person you're with. You know, they always talk about this, the different styles, and some people require, require just at least a little warm-up. Um, but I do think that 
again, if you go in with this and I'm here to help you achieve your goal, you know, so let's can't, you know, would you be willing to have this conversation with me? Um, you know, and they say, yes, I think you can get into it fairly quickly without, um, you know, how's your, your family? Did you see the game this weekend? <laughs> you know? and all those things that we tend to do. So many times leaders do that because they're uncomfortable themselves and don't necessarily need that. Hmm. What about, uh, you know, for our listening audience, how can they, you know, utilize this knowledge to do something fundamentally like today to work towards this type of communication? Is it where they have to basically say, I'm fundamentally going to change the way I communicate with people? Is it is it a complete mind reset or is it something that they have to kind of practice before it becomes natural? Well, I think with any of these types of skills that the more you practice, the better you get. But I think you, it's easily started by, again, determining what is the outcome that this person um, wants um, that's going to help them make this change. You know, like, for example, I had a woman who uh, was really struggling um, with her relationships with her peers. She managed up, managed down, but not across, which is is typical. Um, Very competitive. um, And she was like, well, my ways are most efficient. And, you know, so why should I change? And she did want a promotion and she wanted to be seen as a leader. And so, you know, really focusing on what is it that she really wants? If you want to be seen as a leader, you're going to be need to be seen as a leader by your peers as well. You know, so would you be willing to look at how you can improve that those relationships? So again, I think by starting with what is their intended goal, you know, ask if they'd be willing to talk about this or what's it going to take for you to be willing. You know, and then just go in and, and, and really hear their story first. And I think that's where leaders fail is they don't stop and listen to the person's story. It's in the seeds of the story that you're going to hear their resistance. You know, you're going to hear their blind spot. You're going to hear their problem. If you just sit and listen to that, you, you know, you start to hear their belief system, the, the assumptions that they're making that are wrong. Um, you know, what is it that they're afraid of? Um, or how they're judging things, you know, you're going to hear that in the story. So just then give the person space to talk, really listen to the elements of the story, and just start asking questions about that. You know, you, you um, be curious and reflect back what you're hearing. Just start with that. And it's amazing um, what the person, you know, as you said, uh, when, the pers- when the leader's a sounding board, what the person gets out of that you know, that they can start handling their problems on their own. I mean, that's really what you're doing is you're getting people to discover their own answers and their own their own problems as well as their own answers. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's an issue of awareness. And, and I think a lot of times uh, with great managers, they just have this innate ability to be conscious in the moment. And a lot of managers have got a lot of, and leaders have a lot of baggage that they bring to meetings and bring to conversations that they have to leave at the door and be way more open. Uh, and I don't want to use the word humble because I don't think that's appropriate, but but vulnerable maybe is a better word so that they're showing the person that, hey, I'm not here to judge. I just got to figure out what's going on. Uh, are there fundamental 
techniques that enable somebody that's kind of stuck in the gruff mode or stuck in the domineering mode, how they can get out of that so they can have these more meaningful conversations with people? I always ask leaders, so what exactly is your role? You know, um, is it just to get things done or especially once you get beyond a frontline leader, I believe that it's the leader's responsibility to develop other leaders, you know, responsible to the company for that, that we're developing people to think for themselves so they can step into leadership. Um, And also to just to think for themselves because then they get work done more efficiently. So, you know, the, the, the gruff leader, you know, what, what's, what's the outcome of, of that, you know, and again, these days, so many people coming into the workplace, they're not going to put up with that. You know, if the person doesn't show me some respect and that they care about me, I'm out of here. I'm thinking also that people that are perceived as listeners uh, garner a lot of respect from their um their staff uh, and other managers because that's showing them respect and somebody that is incapable of listening and I, and I know lots of people that have this problem that the person's thinking as they're having the conversation god this guy's not listening to me what a jerk and then that's what they get out of the conversation <laughs> which is actually the opposite of what the guy wants to have happen exactly you know how many leaders still think that they have to be the one who knows and has all the answers when what people want from them is to listen it's a humbling process. Now, um, for people who want to know more about the book, is there a blog or a website, uh, you know, once they finish the book, that they can continue to learn and evolve in this direction? Sure. Um, my website is outsmartyourbrain.com. There's a link for the discomfort zone. And um, there's a, an assessment to rate your ability to deal with discomfort. There's uh, the model and some exercises and uh, some other cases, and I'll be posting new cases there. So they can go there um, and check in and see what else is coming up on a regular basis. Now, now, do you have a favorite case? I mean, it doesn't even have to be from the book. Well, I think um, the one I mentioned to you about the, you know, the woman and her, uh, her problem with her peers, it's always amazing that it's not so many leaders that are really good with their people, you know, are really lousy with other people. <laughs> and so, you know, whether, and, and even there's a case in the book about the problem of managing up, that we forget that we need to model the behavior we want from others. You know, so the question to the person who was angry with his boss is, you know, um, are you showing your boss the behavior that you want, you know, or are you just reacting you know, badly. <laughs> well, and also, uh, I think a big problem right now, and I think this is stemmed from the economic struggle that a lot of organizations have had is, you know, people are scared that they're going to lose their job, is basically uh, acting out of character because they think that's what their boss needs. Uh, and that's exactly the wrong approach to, to doing things. There's something that's fundamentally changing in uh, business globally, but also uh, it's being recognized in the United States as a very, very important thing, and that is uh, women in managerial roles, how important that is for an organization to have key leaders and decision makers uh, that are women. And, and, you know, that sounds like, well, of course, Bob, but companies are realizing for the first time that this is drastically affecting the bottom line. The world has changed. 
is having a conversation on this level as a manager, if you're male or if you're female, to somebody of the opposite sex, is that a little different? You know, I think that many of the women that are in these leadership roles don't fit the typical uh, model of what most books define as uh, women in the workplace. And, And actually, this was my doctoral dissertation was on high achieving women in my last book. (laughs) <laughs> Wonder Woman was was about these women, and their approaches are actually very similar to male in you know to men in their directness um, and their desire to be challenged. So I don't think that um, that they would have difficulty with men doing that; that they would actually appreciate it instead of um, a man worrying and coddling them. I think that's more of a problem. Like, well, she can't, I don't, she probably can't deal with it. You know, to me, that's uh, a misnomer misnomer that needs to be corrected. So I I don't think so. Um, And again, because it's a listening approach, you know, and you're honoring the person, it's, it's really more of a human function. So if it's a female leader to a male, I think um, it works even more so than, uh, more of a, a directing approach that might be resisted. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it makes makes so much sense. You know, by by you know reading the book and understanding that okay, it's not about special techniques. It's not about this or that. It's about just me sitting there in the chair and being conscious and listening and reacting in the right ways and giving that person a chance to express themselves. You know, you're absolutely right, Bob. It's it's sometimes as simple as that. Can I just be fully present with this person and trust that if I ask the right questions, they're going to come up with a solution on their own? I'd like to thank you for coming on the show, Marcy. It was great. I didn't know you had a second book. That's my bad, but I'd love to get you on the show to talk about that book as well because um, I think it's very timely. When did uh, when did you write that, that first book? How long ago? Um, that book was written in... 2010. Um, it's actually um, my second book. I wrote um, my first book was Outsmart Your Brain. <laughs> That's where that comes from. <laughs> okay. That one needs to be re- rewritten. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back and talk to you about uh, women in the workplace. Actually, you just you just mentioned something very, very interesting there. You know, by going back to your first book and rewriting the book because it's it's out of date or it needs to be updated. Do you think that that's a fundamental problem with a lot of business books? People put that up, put the book out and then forget it and then write a book and never go back. And, and basically what your book says here is have a conversation with the book and say, is the book saying uh, what I believe is the truth? Right. Well, you know, the books represent who we are. And when I look at that book, I mean, it's still... Um, sells and people tell me they love it. And I know it's missing things, you know, just because... I've continued learning and my own research um, that, to me, there's so much more that it could say, um, that it was great, you know, in 2004. (laughs) Now, 10 years later, it needs to say more. So, yeah, I, I do think, you know, there are people that write additions to books and then they update them. Um, but you're right. A lot of people that move on to other books don't go back, and yet they have a gold mine of great ideas that if they just update and bring them current, you know, that they provide, um, you know, so much more for people. 
Do you think um, this book, The Discomfort Zone, is uh, part of a logical growth sequence that you've been going through? Like you've got the first book and, and you kind of did a, a mind dump there and got it all out. And then you got your second book and now this third book is this is how the workplace is evolving because you're mirroring. Because, you know, you're out there talking with, with leaders and doing lots of stuff. You're on the front lines. Is is this is how it's evolving? You know, it, it's definitely how it's evolving uh, for me um, because I got so immersed in the whole coaching world and I, I just think coaching is so powerful, uh, you know, both as a, as a leadership approach and, and just a conversation. And as I've become better at that, and I also teach um, coaches, you know, how to coach, I've learned so much more. So, yeah, it is evolving for me as I, you know, learn and grow. I like to share, you know, what I'm learning, um, you know, and I also see what's missing out there and you know what's frustrating because people aren't doing it so <laughs> and that's when I think I have to write a book because people aren't doing this right yeah if you want people to take you seriously just whip up a quick book yeah <laughs> uh, The Discomfort Zone I've had Marcy on the line today and a fascinating book highly recommend it even if you're not in the field of coaching for sure this is a great book for managers to do a better job at doing their job uh and that basically is to listen and to let people know uh, that you're listening thanks for being on the show great thank you Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week. 